Hey folks, welcome to the Baseball Rewind. We bring you baseball facts, stories, and sprinkle in game highlights and interviews about the highlighted player. Frederick Michael Lynn was born on February 3rd, 1952 in Chicago, Illinois. And I just have to tell you before I start breaking into Freddie Lynn, I grew up in Boston and I was a just a young kid when he burst onto the scene. And I'm so excited to to tell you about Freddie Lynn here and play an interview for you because I could I could still remember playing wiffle ball in my backyard and mimicking all the Boston Red Sox, you know, batting stances. And I could I still think I could do Freddie Lynn's batting stance, even though I'm a right-handed hitter. And uh, it's just so exciting for me to, you know, to talk about Freddie Lynn here. So uh, you know, he arrived in the big league scene like a bolt of lightning through the evening sky. Uh, Lynn played in his first game on September 5th, 1974, and he proceeded to smash Major League pitching to the tune of 419 batting average and a 698 slugging average over his first 15 games. He followed that up with one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time, leading the Red Sox to the World Series and earning the Rookie of the Year, Most Valuable Player, and he won the Gold Glove Awards for the 1975 season. Lynn was the very first player to achieve this trifecta, and it was an accomplishment that he stood alone in until Ichiro Suzuki of the Seattle Mariners um, equaled that feat in 2001. During his 1975 season, all of the opposing pitchers searched in vain for a way to get the left-handed hitter out. And all season, they were left scratching their heads. You know, he hit uh, 331 in his freshman campaign, and he followed that up with a 314 mark in 1976. But injuries kept him out of the lineup, you know, just too frequently for the remainder of his career. He was really healthy in 1978 and 79, and in the late year in 79, he had his best overall campaign. He hit 39 home runs to go with 122 RBIs. He scored 116 runs, hit 42 doubles, 82 walks, and he had a 333 average. Things got tense in Boston for, for, for Freddie, and he really wanted to go back to the West Coast. Um, and he really pushed a trade for, you know, by the Red Sox to the Angels. And I just want to say on a personal note, this is really when I found out baseball was a business, and it was really hard to accept your favorite players leaving. It wasn't only Freddie Lynn. It was Carlton Fisk who was gone. And all of a sudden, you know, this Red Sox team that you fell in love with in the late in the late 70s, it was no more. And that was really tough to take. And that's when I really started learning that baseball was really a business. And after his trade to the Angels, you know, Freddie was just never quite the same player. Uh, he recaptured the magic a few times. Um, in 1982, in the LCS, he punished the Brewers. Uh, he hit 611. He had 11 hits uh, in the Angels' five-game defeat to the Brewers. And he won the ALCS MVP. He's the last player uh, to win the ALCS MVP on the losing team. And in 1983, which was his last All-Star game, unfortunately, he hit the first Grand Slam in All-Star game history off of Atlee Hammaker. And he had a few more good years there, you know, with the Orioles, uh, but the expectations on Freddie were really high uh, because he had such a great coming out party. And a lot of it was unfair. He was just an all-out type of player. And again, watching him as a kid, there wasn't a ball. If there was a ball hit to center field, whether it was right center or left center, it was going against the wall, it was, or it was a sinking line drive, you just knew he was going to be sprawled out trying to catch, trying to catch the ball. And, you know, he made a lot more plays than not. He was a really good defensive center fielder. And afterwards, you know, um, Freddie talks about this. You can find this on many interviews where he talks about leaving Boston 
and how he regretted that um, later later on in his life. And just to give you an idea, just recently here, you know, that Todd Helton was uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and a lot of people want to talk about like the Coors Field effect for Helton. And I'm not saying it didn't help him for sure, but I just want you to understand that Freddie Lynn played 440 games. Um, in Fenway Park. And over those 440 games, he hit 347, had a 420 on base percentage, a 601 slugging percentage, and an OPS over 1,000. He was a fantastic Fenway Park hitter. And if he had stayed reasonably healthy and finished his whole career in Boston, there's a good chance you'd be talking about Freddie Lynn in the Hall of Fame. He was really that good, and he was made to hit in Fenway Park for sure. So I'm going to bring you an interview um, that Peter Gammons did. Uh, he did a whole story on Freddie Lynn baseball tonight. This was from 1990, so it's a little dated. And he is going to talk about Lynn being, at the time, the only um, player to win the MVP and the um, Rookie of the Year, which we, I already mentioned was um, since since broken. But, you know, the good thing about this is the story is you get to hear a bunch of radio calls on um, on Freddie's highlights. You get to hear Peter um, Gammons talking about Freddie. And then you also get to hear Freddie himself talk quite a bit candidly about his career, how he played the game. It was during his last season with the San Diego Padres is when he gave the interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it's about eight minutes long. It's a little bit, little bit longer than um, normal. You know, I hope you enjoy it and you enjoy Freddie Lynn. And again, if you go over to um, VintageBaseballReflections.com. I got a really cool highlight highlight reel on Freddie uh, over there for the, in the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Red Sox Classic Game. So if you want to check that out, uh, feel free again. Uh, VintageBaseballReflections.com. And uh, here's that interview. For Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking, it's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell, to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games. And even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced. None of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. No one's had another rookie season like Fred Lynn's 1975. He's the only player ever to be rookie of the year and MVP, unanimous no less. He won a gold glove. He became the last player to knock in 10 runs in a game that June in Detroit. And there goes a shot deep to right field. High in the air, and we watch this one go into the upper deck. His third home run of the night. As he goes five for six with three home runs and ten runs batted in. He crashed into walls. He 
made breathtaking diving catches, and he batted 306 in the playoffs and the World Series. A fly ball hit back in the deep right center field. Griffey is back to the bullpen, and it is gone—a home run. Randy Lynn has hit one out of here to deep right center field with two men on base, and the Red Sox have bolted out in front at three to nothing. I had a lot of success at every step of the. Uh, stage getting to the big leagues and I always figured that um, since I had a lot of success that why should it stop just because I'm at this next level. Fred probably one of the most natural talents in the game of baseball I've ever seen. I saw him in 75 be the best baseball player I've seen. He had it all. The Messerschmitt decision came that winter and it gave him the game's premier market value. But a contract hassle, a torn up ankle, and a lot of other injuries led to three good but below expectation seasons before the monster year of 1979. A batting title, 39 homers, 116 runs, 122 RBI. Well, you know, I expected a lot of myself. I mean, certainly uh, people thought, I don't think they realistically thought that I was going to have an MVP year every year. I don't think they thought that. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> you never know. I found that the next couple of years that the second half of all the seasons, my power stats were starting to, to fade, and I, I couldn't understand what was happening. And really what was happening is just my body was just wearing down, and I was not built for, for playing that kind of duration, that many games. You know, I'm just going to have to do some kind of weight work to, to maintain my strength. Uh, throughout the season and maybe maintain those stats and it really paid off for me. I finally, uh, I thought, uh, accomplished what I had set out to do and, and did everything that I did in 75, I did in 79 a little bit better. You know, that was the year after I had lifted in the uh, off season and uh, I finally put to rest uh, the 75 season, I thought anyway. When his contract was up after 1980, the Red Sox had no plans to re-sign the 28-year-olds. It was money, but it also might have been Gene Yawkey's hard feelings from the 1976 holdout. Anyway, Boston management didn't send him a contract, and rather than get nothing, as was the case of Carlton Fisk, they accepted Frank Tanana, Joe Rudy, and the immortal Jim Dorsey from the Angels, and shipped him west. They claimed he had the Malibu mentality, he wanted to go home. Well, to this day, Lynn still wears a Malibu mentality t-shirt. My attitude, I think, kind of led people to believe that that's the way I was. Where in reality, that's not the way I am. Um, I care a lot about what goes on on ball clubs and with myself included, and, but I may not show it outwardly. You know, I'm not a real <clears throat> guy that's going to jump up and down and, and show a lot of emotion because I don't think baseball is, is supposed to be played that way. I think it's a thinking man's game and I think that you have to to control your emotions in baseball. And as far as uh, missing Boston, sure I miss Boston and I miss that left field fence. You know, I mean, I patterned my swing to, uh, to, to fit the needs of Fenway Park. Uh, my goal is winning, that's it. And so that uh, I've never been attracted to stats and those kind of things that you know people sometimes can't understand me why you know that's one of the things well if you had stayed in Boston you'd have been in Hall of Famer well maybe but uh, you know that that's not a, a motivating factor for me.
people that question his work ethic uh, don't know Freddie Lynn. He was a hard worker. He, he always did the best that he possibly could. Uh, and when he said he was hurt, he was hurt. He just, had, he just happened to be one of those people that uh, had a real tough time staying away from injuries. But as far as his work ethic, um, people that say, say things like that about Freddie Lynn don't know Freddie Lynn. Lynn always fought perceptions silently. He was called Fragile Freddie behind his back. It had always seemed he got hurt crashing into walls or diving onto the ground or breaking up double plays. I played all out. Um, I didn't want any balls landing in my area. Uh, and I think our pitchers appreciated that. Um, sure, I got hurt. There's no question about it. And I banged up my body a lot. There's nothing that I like better than to take away a hit from somebody. And I think that's more demoralizing to a team than if I step up to the plate and hit a home run. Um, I think if you take away runs from a team, they're more demoralized than if you do it at the bat. From my time of playing with him, one thing I did know about Freddie that you know, he may have been injured, but the reason he was injured was because he played hard. And, um, you know, whenever you play hard, that's uh, sometimes the consequences you pay. You, uh, pay. In San Diego, his nickname is Methuselah. He's judge of the kangaroo court. He's called a leader. But with the Padres mired in the second division, his role is that of a part-time player. What he has really done for me as a manager is he has extended me the opportunity to have almost a sixth coach. I incorporated a kangaroo court. He is our judge. And of course, he gets me in there three or four times each time. He, he holds court. I'm in there for $15 here, $20 there. And, What's he buying you for? Well, little things like I was had my hat on for the first two bars of the national anthem because I was in the middle of a deep conversation. and. Uh, I've lost a little bit of weight, and you looked at my body and put me in the fine book, I think, for having a bad body or not wearing smaller pants. Looking back, Fred Lynn has had an extraordinary career. Five gold gloves, nine all-star appearances, 305 homers. His batting average is only two points less than Carl Yastrzemski's, and his slugging percentage almost 20 points higher than he has. But when you realize that when he left Boston, his lifetime average was 350 in Fenway Park, you realize that that trade might have killed a Hall of Fame career. Two things. One, as for the Malibu mentality, Freddie plans to retire on the East Coast for all those people in Boston. Secondly, you know, a guy like Freddie, they say, well, he's a front runner, but you have to get the foot soldiers to get you into position. But Reggie Jackson was another front runner, and he's Mr. October. I think that the shame of Freddie's career is he didn't get another chance like Reggie Jackson. Ray, in 1987, you guys were teammates in Baltimore, and it seemed like for that whole year, Fred was being ripped day after day in the papers for allegedly being a selfish player and for being too fragile, for refusing to play hurt. Any truth to those charges? Well, absolutely not. Freddie didn't play a lot because 
The reason is Freddie was a perfectionist, and he, if he had any type of injury, he was not going to go out on that field and do the things that he was not capable of doing unless he's totally healthy. The thing about him being selfish is totally stupid. I, I, I play with Freddie Landon. I played with him in Detroit. The man worked as hard as anybody. He played as hard as anybody. Became a very good friend of mine, and, and that's ridiculous. Guys like Boswell and those people just expected Freddie to hit 330 every year, hit 35 home runs, drive in 100 runs, and when he didn't do it, and there's the only way you can do it is play 150 games, then they get down on you. But Freddie's a great guy, and, and he's had a tremendous career. All right, Ray, thanks.